you know, the, uh, the thing we did, the, the thing, the group thing we just did where we prayed, got in groups prayed, we're going to do that uh, for the next 11 Sundays. And uh, I want to say something too. Every time we do that, I, I'm up here and I'm uh, just kind of watching and there's a, there's a verse in the book of Revelation that talks about the prayers of the saints kind of being, God kind of collects them in bowls of incense or whatever. I love that part of when we pray because I have the sense that God is pleased because something's rising up to God. And I don't mean this in a, uh, well, I do mean this in a real clear way. I believe what we just did will change the course of some of your histories, future. Because we just asked God to do something and God says if we ask him, he'll do it. So I believe because of what we just did, some of you are going to see Jesus in a way today, this week, next month, whatever, in a way that may not have happened had we not prayed. And you might say, well, that's kind of what about theology of prayer? I, I, let's just be really simple here. When we ask God, he says he hears us. All right? So that's why we do that. We do that because we believe that God's going to do something in response. All right? Now, uh, puzzle today. This is kind of guess. All right? Who is this person? All right? I, I, and once you know, please don't say it. If you know, uh, just kind of wave your hand. I'm not going to call on you, but I, I'm sure nobody knows now unless they've seen them. All right. All right. Let's, let's take off one piece of the puzzle. Okay. Still don't say. Anybody know? Just maybe. Oh, you know. My wife. <laughs> okay. Maybe. Maybe. I think she may be wrong. One more piece. Here we go. Okay. We're unveiling as we slowly go along. Let's go one more piece. Okay, stop here. How many people think they know? Just raise your hand. Okay, a few. Okay, one more piece. Okay, last piece. Don't say it. Anybody know who this is? No, it's not Dan Hendricks with hair. <laughs> All right, anybody know who this is? I mean, I've unveiled it to you and nobody knows who this is. Okay, who knows? Anybody? Who is it? No, it's not me. Who said that? Bill Gates. Next picture. All right. Now, why did you not recognize the other picture? I mean, I slowly unveiled it to you, right? But he showed up in a form you're not used to seeing, right? I mean, you don't see too many pictures of Bill Gates' yearbook floating around in magazines or newspapers. Uh, I don't know what year that was, even though when I Googled it, it, I'm assuming it's Bill Gates, and the internet's always right, right? Okay. But he showed up in a form you weren't used to. And some of you, who knows, some of us older ones like me, we may have interacted with Bill Gates when he was younger in a crowd somewhere, and we should have asked him, hey, you got any great ideas for the future? Can I be in on it? All right. Who's to say that when you, you know, People, I've seen pictures of Bill Gates and his kind of entourage when they first started Microsoft. It was a bunch of yo-yos in a garage. It's like least likely to see, but because so he showed up in a form that we weren't used to seeing and now we know that's who it is. How many times do you think Jesus has showed up in a form or in a manner or in a way that you're not used to seeing, seeing or hearing or experiencing and you missed him? How many times do you think that's happened to me or you? How many times has Jesus shouted at us or he showed up in a room, showed up in our lives in some way and we missed him? Either because we didn't see, we didn't hear. 
the Bible says that Jesus, there's ways, times in which we don't, even if we're entertaining strangers, we may be entertaining God. We don't know. Angels. We don't know. There may be, a, there may be an angel in this room. We don't know. Now, I'm not saying that to be overly spooky or weird, although it is weird, but it's true that there's things that can happen. But, but I'm not talking about just those kind of physical men. There's ways in which Jesus shows up in our daily lives in very ordinary, but yet profound ways, whether it's a through the words of someone else and they say something and you're like, wow, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Or a strong impression that you can't shake, like, wow, why do I keep thinking about going to that person's house and help bring them a meal tonight? I have no reason why I'm doing this. Or maybe it's just something you read in scripture and a, and a Bible verse seems to jump out at you and like 48 point font highlighted and then it shrinks back down and then it comes back up again. Like, wow, what is this? And you know what I'm talking about. Those things happen. That's Jesus showing up. But I think, if you're like me, I maybe have experienced, at best, 2 or 3% of who Jesus is in my life. At best. I'm, I'm eager to see what the other 97% looks like. In other words, I haven't learned it all, neither of you. I mean, I've been married to my wife for 20 years, and I think I know who she is. And there's been things about her I've understood, and that has, she's been willing to kind of open up and help me see and understand her. But I got a whole lot more about my wife I need to know. So what I'm saying is for some of you who maybe have been Christians for a number of years or you're Christians for a few years or you're not really sure, you think, well, I've already got Jesus. I got my, I got my heaven ticket or whatever. Hey, there's a whole lot more to Jesus he wants to show to all of us. And there's not one of us here that, that doesn't need to have our peripheral vision expanded and our perceptions kind of expanded because Jesus is likely to show up in your life in a way that you haven't seen him before. But it's still Jesus. That's still Bill Gates. It's just in a form you haven't seen him before. And I'm going to challenge you to kind of break your paradigms, you know, take your paradigm frame of what you think Jesus is, and at least start loosening some of the nails and screws on that frame because God will blow it open for you. All right? What we're doing this, uh, starting today, we're doing a series in the book of Revelation. All right? The, um, it's the last book in the Christian New Testament, so it's about like here, you know. It's the last book of the New Testament. And we're just going to start off reading chapter 1 today. And let me say this too. The book is called Revelation, not Revelations. All right, say that with me. Revelation, not Revelations. All right. It is the book of, it is a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's exactly how John starts it off. And we'll explain the context and, and who John is in a few minutes. But this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Or read that first part with me. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Some of the versions translated, they'll say this is a revelation from Jesus Christ. But the, and others say of the nature of that preposition is it could have both effects. So this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. That is the frame of the entire book of Revelation. It's not about, uh, it's not significantly about bells and whistles and I had friends growing up, they thought the Beatles were mentioned in the book of Revelation. I mean, the Beatles, the rock group, the Beatles. It's not about trying to figure out what all these symbols and signs mean particularly. They have a larger meaning and themes in our lives. But primarily the book of Revelation is a revelation of and about and from Jesus Christ. Which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. Just follow along. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John. So it's interesting. Jesus sends an angel to John. Weird meter's a little high on that one, but it's true. 
and it's not, it shouldn't be weird, it should be normal. Jesus sends an angel to tell John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listens to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. And I'll explain that in a second. Grace and peace to you. So this is a letter now he's writing. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who still is to come. So this would have been read in some of these churches in the early century of the church. From the sevenfold spirit before the throne and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us the kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he comes with a cloud of heaven. So John's now kind of writing this hymn or this poem that he was aware of. And everyone will see him. Even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega. This is the words of Jesus now. The beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. All right, now, next slide. Patmos is an island off the coast of what is now Turkey. It's actually part of Greece as well at one time. You can't, the little red dot is Patmos, the little, little red square. Uh, the yellow region is where the seven different cities in what is now modern-day Turkey, but Paul refers to as the churches, seven churches of Asia, where those little towns and cities would have been, where this letter would have been circulated through those churches. And for some reason, Jesus had those specific churches in mind when he, when he gave the message to the angel to tell John. All right, John, if you remember, this is the John who was the disciple of Jesus. So he would have known, so this is AD, about AD 96. We don't know, it's plus or minus three or four years. We don't know, um, John didn't have his document time stamped by his Microsoft computer, so we don't know. Um, but John would have been a teenager when he started following Jesus. He, was the, he wrote the Gospel of John. Uh, he's the one that refers to often as the disciple Jesus loved, so probably one of the closer ones to Jesus. He knew Jesus really. He was the one that was at the cross when Jesus was dying. He was the only one who was still there. And we don't know exactly where all the disciples were at this particular time. So this is like you know, 30 or 60 years or so after Jesus' death. But a lot of the disciples at this point had been already martyred and killed. John was one who wasn't yet. As a matter of fact, tradition says that John just wouldn't die even when people tried to persecute him. But in this case, because he preached about Jesus, he was sent in exile to this Isle of Patmos, which was this rocky, barren island that was reserved for prisoners or political or spiritual kind of prisoners that they just wanted to kind of get rid of. All right. So that's what's happened here. All right. John is writing this letter. And what we've, already, what we've already heard in the message is that he was writing these because that's what the Spirit of Jesus told him to write and send to these churches. All right. And it is a revelation about Jesus. Yes, the book of Revelation includes a lot of things that have a larger frame of kind of the, the drama of history that unfolds. But Jesus is always the lead role. Always. He always shows up. All right. Now, uh, Chip, go straight to the one that just says, Jesus, reveal yourself to me. 
I'm going to give everybody uh, homework. But it's not really a homework. It's just an, a, a challenge. I'm going to challenge you between now and 11-11, November 11th, every day pray this prayer. One-line prayer. you got time for that. That's like 15 seconds. All right? Jesus, reveal yourself to me. All right, say that with me. Jesus, reveal yourself to me. Or one more time. Jesus, reveal yourself to me. Sometimes in the morning lately I've been playing Jesus, reveal yourself to Kathy. That's my wife. Jesus, reveal yourself to Gretchen. That's my daughter. Mark, Allison, David. I've started to pray for people I know who aren't, who aren't Christians. Jesus, reveal yourself to John. You, you might say, I don't know how to, you know, I don't, I've never had a habit of praying and, hey, this is, you can do this in a few seconds. You can do this when you're driving to work. You can do this when you're walking from class to class. Take your iPod out of your ears and you can whisper out, you know, sometimes just, hey, Jesus, you know, reveal yourself to me today. <laughs> or you're walking by somebody on campus, or you're walking by somebody at Target or you're, you know, whatever, where you work and you might just say, Jesus, reveal yourself to the guy who has the office right next to mine, who I think he's so far from God, but you can do that, Jesus. I know you can. Reveal yourself to him. And maybe sometimes the, the prayer you have might change into, Jesus, reveal yourself through me. Not just to me, but let me be an instrument of your life and, and power in the lives of other people. Because Jesus may call you to do that, and it's going to be stretching for you. So Jesus, reveal yourself to me today. Jesus, reveal yourself through me. But I'm going to challenge you starting today, I mean, this is, this, is the, this, is the, this is the homework assignment that's ideal. It takes you like 15 seconds. I mean, you can say it as many times as you want to. You don't get any extra credit for it, but anyway, just... Jesus, reveal yourself to me. Jesus, reveal yourself to that person right there. Reveal yourself to the person in my life who's hurt me, who I really don't want to forgive. But Jesus, I do want you to reveal yourself to them. I do. I want you to. Not to get them, but to love them. Help them see. So all we're doing today is the very first line of the book of Revelation. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ. And the question we're going to ask is, how do we become the kind of people who see and hear and respond to a revelation of and from Jesus Christ? John was. The, the, book, the, the text we read even says that, uh, it says this was on a Sunday. It was on the Lord's Day. And John said he was praying. So here he is in exile. So he's having a church service all by himself said he was praying in the spirit. We don't know exactly what that means, but there's a sense that he was kind of connected with God in a way that was unique, but not like weird or extraordinary. And he was seeing, he was hearing God, kind of maybe an impression. He was seeing things that may have just been this visual kind of film. Like he wasn't, he wasn't like creating it. Okay, I'm going to create a film. What am I seeing God do? And I was like, wow, I didn't, I'm seeing something. That's really, now in this case, his vision obviously has a lot more uh, it's more of a 3D kind of vision, which again, I believe God does. It's maybe not his ordinary day-to-day -day norm, but God always is showing himself. But in this case, he's revealing himself to John to reveal himself to these churches in Asia to reveal himself to us because he wants us to see him, all right? So Jesus, reveal yourself to me. And there's two things uh, actually, one, the next, go to the next slide here, because here's, you only have two homework assignments today, all right, but they last till 11, 11, all right? I want to challenge you to memorize this verse. I don't care what version of the Bible you use, I don't care. 
Ephesians was written by Paul, but here's what the verse says. This is Paul talking about how he's praying for the people in the church. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. All right? I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So maybe your corollary to your prayer for your friend Joe is, God, will you give Joe the spirit of wisdom and revelation? Help him know you better. So two two assignments, two challenges, and I'll mention these every week. Pray that every day. Jesus, reveal yourself to me. And memorize. Write it on a note card. Put it on your, you know, put it on your iPhone. Whatever. When you're standing in line at the grocery store, pull it out and look at it. When you're, you know, when you're bored at home, pull it out and look at it. It, it, It's amazing how easy it is to memorize scripture. We memorize all kinds of song lyrics. But asking God for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, here's the question. Okay, if I'm asking God to reveal himself to me or Jesus to reveal himself to me, what am I likely to see? What am I going to experience? What's going to happen? What should I look for? What should I not look for? Okay, I'm praying for this. How will I know? And what is it I want Jesus to show me? Because I think if you're like me, sometimes we think we got it all figured out. But Jesus is like, no, no, no. I'm going to blow out the frame of your picture. It's not, who I, it's not all who I am. This may be accurate. It's not all who I am. All right? First thing is going to be this. I'm going to, have to say this. That Jesus, go to the next slide. Jesus wants to reveal his glory to you. Now, if you're like me, the word glory is one of those words. It's a religious word, but you have no idea what it means sometimes. He wants to reveal his glory to me. What's that going to feel like or look like? Glory is the, the word, and this all, all throughout the book of Revelation, Jesus is revealing his glory. I mean, he shows up as a lamb. He shows up as a lion. He shows up as a warrior rider on a white horse. And, it's that, and when people see him, often in the book of Revelation, they fall down on their face. It's, in other words, they're, sense, they're sensing a power and an, and an incredible force from Jesus. There's a sense of an experiential reality that goes beyond the physical. And it's the, it's the reality of how good and how powerful this guy is. I'm gonna show, we're going to show a movie clip here and, uh, because I, I want you to think about the idea of revelation. The word, the, the word in, the, in the New Testament for revelation is, this, is the Greek word is where we get our English word apocalypse. The Greek word is apocalyptus, uh, apocalypsis. So apocalypse doesn't mean, you know, we always think about the apocalypse being bad things happening. Apocalypse simply means the unveiling of what was formerly not known. And in that sense, every one of us needs an apocalypse of Jesus. We want to see things of Jesus that we, haven't, that we don't currently know. And one of the uh, clips that I want to show is, to me, captures kind of the, the power and the emotion of the unveiling and the apocalypse and somebody showing up at the time of desperation. All right? um, I'm sure there's a lot of people here fans of the uh, Lord of the Rings. This is from Two Towers. And what's happening in this particular clip is Helm's Deep, which is the fortress in, a fortress in Rohan. And if you haven't seen the movies, that's okay. I'm not going to ruin anything for you. But it's basically under incredible siege and attack by the enemy. And it's hopeless. I mean, hopeless with a capital H. They're discouraged. Um, 
they, have, they know of no help that's coming and their death is imminent. Now, that may not describe your life in the totality of emotion, but every one of us has places or things or relationships in our life where we might have Helm's Deep kind of feelings. Kind of like we've tried, but it's just, we're kind of... So the king of Rohan is a guy named Theoden, and he starts his cliff off saying, kind of, it's over. And you just feel this dejectedness, kind of like, I'm tired. It's not gonna, it's not gonna happen. And what we might feel is I've tried this Christian thing and it's just not doing it. And then you'll see um, Aragorn kind of get some hope. And you can't figure out where he's getting this hope from. And then you, if you remember, um, what's the old guy's name? I forget his name. Gandalf. All right, so let's just see the clip. You'll see. And focus on the unveiling. is taken. It is over. You said this fortress would never fall while your men defended it. They sealed it. They have died defending it. There's no other way for the women and children to get out of the caves. There's no other way. There is one passage. It leads into the mountains. But they will not get far. The Urukai are too many. Send word for the women and children to make for the mountain pass and barricade the entrance. So much death. What can men do against such reckless hate? Ride out with me. Ride out and meet them. For death and glory. For Rohan. For your people. The sun is rising. Look to my coming at first sight on the fifth day. At dawn. sound in the deep one last time yes
king stands alone. Not alone. the rest of the movie in the room next door after church. No, just kidding. Uh, apologize in retrospect, and I, I meant to mention before about the violence of battle, but the Revelation has more violent parts than that. And, uh, but think again. I, I've, my wife cries when she sees this scene. I have other friends I've talked to. They cry. And when Gandalf, they thought he was dead. And things were hopeless. And he shows up at an unexpected but just the right time. There's not one of us that doesn't hope deeply for Jesus to show up in our life in this kind of way. You know, when I, I, my wife, when I was talking to my wife about this yesterday and, you know, about how she and many others and myself too, there's somebody get teary-eyed at this scene. And I said, what, are the te- what do you think the tears are about? And she said, it's about hope. It's, it's, it's something inside of us that's stirred that we are not alone and that what we think is a hopeless, inevitably death-defying kind of situation is not hopeless. Because Jesus loves to show up. Incidentally, in the book of Revelation, Jesus shows up as a rider on the white horse. Now, from what I understand, uh, Tolkien claimed this wasn't his allegory about Jesus, but sometimes the imagery is too powerful to deny it. So it's like we, we, love, we would love that. I mean, think about a relationship situation or... A, a secret habit of yours or your financial situation and you would love for Jesus to show up. Now, he's not going to show up necessarily and dump a million dollars on you, but he's going to show up with victory when you feel defeated. You remember how the king, they, he kind of had this downcast sense and then somebody, Aragorn, hope without hope, somehow he believed it was still going to, something still could good happen if they just acted with courage, trusting that what was good would happen. And then they all become kind of encouraged around. And then, because sometimes we have to start, sometimes God asks to do things before Jesus shows up. And what what he asks us to do defies logic and rationality. But we do it because he tells us to. And then he shows up at whatever time he wants to, which will always be the best and right time. So yeah, Jesus wants to show us his glory. We all, I mean, there's not one of us doesn't want that. We want to see Jesus show up and and we want to see him soften somebody's heart who's hard-hearted toward us. We want to see him bring wholeness and health health to your marriage when there's distance and hurt. And we want to see that happen. We would love to see that happen. There's not one of us that wouldn't die for that to happen. But here's an interesting part of the whole challenge here. Jesus wants to reveal his glory to us and that's evident in the book of Revelation. But if we want to see that there's something else Jesus also wants to reveal to us. And this is that he wants to reveal 
your sin deal. It's like, oh no, sin. We don't have to talk about it in church, do we? This is one of those kind of churches. The book of Revelation, it's, it's fascinating because it opens up in chapter one like we've had. And then, the, then chapter two and three, he starts talking to seven different churches and it's Jesus talking to them and he's pointing out, hey, you're doing this well and I want to commend you for this, but I have this complaint against you, Jesus would say to these churches, which were full of ordinary people just like you and me. This complaint against you, you are tolerating idolatry in your life. You are tolerating sexual sin in your life. You are tolerating divisiveness in your church and in your relationships. You're tolerating those things and you're giving yourself over to those things. And then Jesus says, listen to what I'm saying. Because you need to see those things because those are obstacles for you seeing my glory. You seeing me show up in my... You know, it's not... Some of us, myself included, have grown up in backgrounds where obedience was for the sake of obedience. And obedience for the sake of obedience is what legalism is all about. We obey because we're supposed to. But the message of the book of Revelation as well as all of the gospels and all of the Bible for that matter is we obey because that's the avenue and the pathway that God says, you want to see my glory, live life in the way I've asked you to live life. Obey what I tell you to do obey my commandments and again it's the sense of it's not obedience for the sake of obedience it's obedience because we want to see the apocalyptic revelation of Jesus in our lives in some kind of ordinary or dramatic way there's a passage of scripture go to the next slide here John this is again this is the gospel that John wrote so John himself wrote this because he remembered Jesus saying this And I want this to kind of frame your understanding of the book of Revelation. Frame your understanding of how Jesus wants to show himself to you. He says this, whoever has my commands and obeys them, this is Jesus talking again, to the disciples like 60 years before John wrote Revelation. But this was still John. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love him and reveal, show myself to him. If you love me, If you have my commands and obey them, I will show myself to you. And that's an absolute promise. But it comes with a condition. It's not a condition like, oh, you have to do this. You have to put a quarter in the pop machine to get your Coke out or three quarters or four quarters or whatever. But he's saying, if you want to have a relationship with me, you've got to obey the way I've told you to live life well. And if you do that, I will show myself to you. Some of you, and I've been here in those places, some of you are like, oh, I want, to see, I want to see God's glory. I want to see his rescue and redemption in my life. I want to see power and hope in my life. But I'm not going to let go of this habit right here. I can't. I, I, I just want that. Because what if, what if Jesus doesn't show up? I need some kind of source of water. And I know it's just a pitiful little cup of muddy water, but it's better than not having anything so what if Jesus doesn't show up and I so some of us hold on to uh, selfish issues in our life some of us hold on to sexual sin in our life some of us hold on to pride some of us hold on to a financial greediness and the commands of God to give generously not only to others but even giving to the house of God the church and tithing we say well I'm not going to do that because if God doesn't show up in my finances if Jesus doesn't show up I better have a little bit of on the side just in case and so if you want to see Jesus you got to obey what maybe there's someone in your life you're like you know what that person hurt me I will not forgive them 
then Jesus will not show himself to you because you are not obeying what he says when he says, obey me, forgive those who've hurt you. I don't reveal myself to you. So maybe it's a forgiveness issue. Maybe it's a habit issue. Maybe it's a sexual sin. Maybe it's pride. Maybe you have some authority over money and you've been dishonest even to a dollar. And you're kind of like, well, but I kind of need that extra cash. But it's stealing still and you know it. Or maybe you've been stretching the truth about a situation to make yourself look better. Interesting note, we never stretch the truth to make ourselves look worse, do we? Right? We always stretch the truth to make ourselves look better. So it's still factual. It's like the example I give is I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be home late from work and I'll tell my wife, yeah, I told her I'd be home at 5.30, but yeah, there was this traffic problem. Well, what, what that meant was there were two cars in front of me at the stop sign. But I'm leading her to believe that there was a bigger problem, like a big traffic jam. Well, yeah, there was. It was just two cars in front of me. So I'm stretching the truth to make myself look better. So maybe some of you are in that habit of stretching or you're right in the middle of a really fine-crafted lie that God's saying, stop it and admit the truth. And again, this is not obedience for the sake of obedience. It's obedience for the sake of seeing the glory of Jesus in your life. Showing up. You know, something that, that hit me on this this week, Jesus says, you know, you have my commands and obeys them. And you want, one of the things that shows up in the book of Revelation and that shows up in the Bible too is there are times where we will be called to obey him at the risk of our own physical health and well-being, persecution. And this week I was reading a, a letter that... Um, about church, about persecution of Christians in the country of Sudan, which has now been broken up in Sudan and South Sudan. And there was part of the letter where it was talking about pastors getting nailed to trees. And I thought, I don't know if I want to know you that way, Jesus. Because I'm absolutely convinced those pastors who were nailed to trees know Jesus in a far deeper and richer way than any of us will ever know him. But I don't know if I want that. I do. But I don't, but I do, but I don't. You know what I'm talking about. And I, I just, I, I sat at my dining room table and I just, I was in a house by myself and I just started crying. Because I thought, Jesus, don't, don't ask me to do that, but I will if you ask me. I don't want my wife and kids to be, I'm not predicting my own martyrdom. You know what I'm saying? But there's things we don't want Jesus to ask us to do. We don't want to obey his command to us because it will cost us. But in an odd sort of way, I envy those pastors who were nailed to trees because they know Jesus in a way I'll never know them, I know him. Maybe this side of heaven, other side of heaven I will, but there's a sense in which those who suffer for Jesus will know Jesus more deeply than any of us. And we have got to break that silly mold in our frames of saying, well, I'll do anything for you, Jesus. I just don't want to suffer for you. I don't want my reputation to be heard among my friends, so I don't want to talk openly about Jesus with my friends because their psychological persecution is more than I can bear. And we're not talking about nails in your hands to a tree. We're talking about we don't like the fact that our neighbors or our friends or our classmates may think we're a little bit kooky or stupid because we believe in an invisible world where Jesus shows up all the time. Because we're embarrassed. We want, we want to be esteemed by people, and that becomes our idol. 
I gave you two assignments, two challenges. Jesus, reveal yourself to me. And then memorizing Ephesians 1.17. I don't want to overload you with assignments. I know what, I know what syllabus overload feels like. But here's a third verse. Uh, uh, go back to the, yeah. Here's a, th- here's a third thing you, I want to encourage you to do. Memorize John 14.21. The words of Jesus saying, if you obey me, I will reveal myself to you. What would it be like if even half the people in this room were committed for the next 11 weeks to ask Jesus to reveal himself to us and to be committed in advance to obey anything he asked us to do? Because it's not just about changing our lives, it's setting a lot of people free. Some of you have neighbors and friends that you think are way, way, way far from God. But you commit yourself to obey what you already know Jesus said about purity of heart, forgiveness, and integrity. And then you tell Jesus, whatever you ask me to do, whatever command you give me, Jesus, I'm going to do it. Because if that's what's going to set my neighbor free or my coworker free or my mom and dad who I'm bitter against, if that's going to set them free because you ask me to do something, I will. And Jesus will show up not only in your home and in your life, he will show up in Bloomington. Isn't that what we want? We don't want to just hold on until Jesus dies and hope that we go to heaven and all the sinners get their just due. We want everyone to come to repentance. And that only happens when God speaks through us and uses us. Jesus, reveal yourself to me, but Jesus, reveal yourself through me. My body's yours. My mouth is yours. And here's the question I'll ask is, do you want to see him? Do you want to see Jesus? Do you want him to reveal yourself, himself to you? Are you willing to pay the cost if he does? And are you, are you willing to endure the joy when he does? Are you hungry for the joy what Jesus would be like when he revealed himself? Are you hungry for the life and the energy and the power that will come into you if Jesus reveals himself to you? Do you want to see him? That's the question only you can answer between you and God. Do you want to see him? Let's pray. Jesus, um, we do, as much as we know how, I know most people in here would say, I I desperately want to see Jesus. I don't want to do this Christian religious thing just like an exercise bike where I'm just spinning wheels and never going anywhere, never seeing anything happen in powerful life-giving ways in my life. So Jesus, we want to see you. And... um, Will you help us to unscrew and unglue and unnail the frame that we've put around you and that allow you to be who you are completely and reveal yourself to us? And um, would you reveal not only uh, your power to us, but your love and your tenderness and your forgiveness? And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. We take communion every week. We finish. And this is... Yet another way, in a sense, to, to, that Jesus has revealed himself to us. And he said to his disciples, the same night he said, if you love me, you'll obey me and I'll show myself to you. He said, you know, take this, take this bread, take this cup, and when you eat it and drink it, you'll remember me. Not only remember, you'll remember what I've said to you, you'll remember that I can show up in your life again. 
Here's how we do it at Exodus. Anybody's welcome who would say they want to be a follower of Jesus as much as you know of your own heart. If you're saying, I want to follow Jesus, but, I'm, but I am willingly holding on to this issue that I do not want to let go of, then please do not come for your own well-being. All right? Um, we don't check who's up and down, so don't worry about that. Uh, while we sing, Christina's going to lead us a couple more songs. We'll start to sing. There'll be people each of the rows or aisles to uh, give you off you the bread, you tear off a piece, off you a cup, and you just dip it in the cup. Most people eat it right there, some people take